I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them share their top tips for success with you. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram at AskAdamTorres to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that other good stuff. Always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, MoneyMattersTopTips.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today I have Aaron Mendez on the line. He's the VP of Digital and E-Commerce over at Brandable. Aaron, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, CPG, uh, Consumer Packaged Goods, I mean, always interesting episodes. And I know over there at Brandable, you're doing some interesting things, and I'm really excited to get more into that. But before we do that, let's get a little bit more into your background. How did you get started in business and, and as an entrepreneur? Sure. So, so I would say uh, it started when I was born. <laughs> um, I, I just was, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, and so you know, I couldn't wait to get out of college so that I could just go sink my teeth into like starting businesses and stuff. So, I finished business school at Syracuse University, and I just went straight into tech. Um, I actually started. Uh, I went to Australia for a year and worked for a venture capital company called MentorVest Partners. Uh, this is in the early 2000s, and um, that kind of launched my career in tech. We we launched a marketing software company. They were incubating. Then I moved out here into Southern California and uh, worked in a number of different tech companies here in San Diego, both on the enterprise software and uh, consumer side of things. Um, the last uh, few years, I've also gotten heavily involved in the seed investing. I've made uh, 40 seed investments into a bunch of Real interesting startups from uh, you know, biotech to software, AI. Um, one of a, a few, couple of the companies that I'm most excited about. There's one called Drone Seed, which is replanting, using drone swarms to replant uh, deforested trees. Uh, so those investments are fun because they like help the world, and you know they, they are you know economically better than humans planting them. Uh, invested in Finless Foods recently, which is growing fish fillets, which is pretty cool. You know, the uh, alternative meat category is getting pretty big. Um, I'm actually invested in a space station, which is really crazy. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but the uh, International Space Station is uh, is going to be decommissioned in the next few years, and NASA mm. has a bunch of companies bidding to replace it. And uh, I managed to squeeze myself into the investment round of the uh, the leading candidate for that along with a bunch of other investors. Um, I can't say who that space company is yet, but uh, that's really cool. I'm really excited about that one. To, to own a piece of the next ISS is crazy. That's so, awesome. Um, yeah, so doing that. And then, you know, most recently, uh, I, I one of my seed investments was in a company called Brandable, which was one of the fastest growing, you know, first or in second year startups that I've ever seen. They did they started in mid 2017 and they did 25 million dollars in revenue in 2018 which is crazy like wow you know even you know google facebook those guys didn't do that well in their second year um so and, and the way that they did it is uh brandable has is reimagining consumer packaged goods categories for millennials and gen z um you know i i think if people that are in the CPG circles know that your traditional uh, products coming from, you know, 
Kimberly Clark, Unilever, Procter and Gamble. Mm-hmm. They're not those old brands aren't resonating with millennials. They they haven't innovated in decades. I mean, there's obviously a lot of exceptions to that, but sure. Um, Brandable's creating uh, brands that are resonating better with millennials, and Target and Walmart, always looking to have more innovative products on their shelves, uh, are are a key innovate. We're a key innovation partner for them, and um, when we come up with a new product line, we talk with them about it, and uh, some of our products are in you know all 4,400 WalMarts and all 1,800 Targets, and um, as you know, as we promised them, they're doing really, really well with millennials and Gen Z. Um, one of the things that we do differently uh, is you know, we make the products. First of all, we always try to have better for you products. So instead of making another pasta, for example, we made a vegetable-based pasta. Um, or you know, we 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 find more fun and engaging ways to to make brands that aren't quite as boring as your traditional brands. And we always try to have better for you ingredients and, and cleaner products and things like that. So um, to, to get back to kind of my background, I was a seed investor, befriended uh, the CEO uh, last year, and uh, he comes from the, the entertainment world. Um, he was actually uh, making a bunch of reality TV shows in L.A. before he did this and um, didn't really have a lot of experience in e-commerce, so I was kind of an advisor to him. and. Uh, he asked me if I would wanted to come on board and actually head up e-commerce for the company. And, uh, I was in a position, uh, where I, I could actually do that. So I uh, decided to just actually join the company, uh, and, and actually build out our, our direct consumer and e-commerce business. Uh, so I, I've been there since early this year. And that's wow, kind of a, my story. What story. a story. That's amazing. So, uh, <laughs> some zigs and some zags and now you're like, now they got me VP of digital and e-commerce. I love it. That's amazing. Um, and you're, and you're, the cool thing is you're, you're, um, really competing and changing some big things and some big brands. Um, but let, let, we'll get more into that when we talk a little bit more about brandable. But, um, so there's a lot of younger people also listening to this and they're, you know, maybe just getting out, you know, getting out of college or, you know, thinking what's next. And they may be thinking about going, let's just say this, um, the, the more of the tech entrepreneur route. Um, and you started, you know, pre-tech rec, I mean, 2000, before 2002. So you've seen a lot change and you've really grown up with the industry. Um, so from your perspective, what kind of advice would you give that new, you know, tech entrepreneur that's just getting started out of college? So, it's a good question and it really depends on it, it it depends on the individual and how you want to go about it there's no one right or wrong way to do it um i think depending on your economic situation really has a big factor because if you you know if if you don't have enough money to you know even have an apartment and get by then you have to find an income and um a, a startup investment uh, uh, sorry a startup exec executive or founder is going to it's going to take a long time to get a business off the ground and so you either have to have some savings or you know live with your parents or if you can get by and you want to be an entrepreneur you can do that but if you don't probably most people aren't in a situation where they can do that so you have to get an income and you can do that from consulting or you can get a job and um there's a couple different ways that you can kind of spin out into an entrepreneur uh, from that. 
Um, what a lot of people do is they'll do something on the side um, with, you know, other business partners um, or, you know, they can save money out for a few years and actually get themselves to a point where maybe they could go 12 months without an income and, and take a risk on on a business. But, um, yeah, I would say the hardest part for, for most people, uh, regardless of your age, is if you're going to go out there and take a risk, it's, you know, no one's going to pay your salary. And so you have to be in a position to go 12 to 24 months with little to no income, unless you get really lucky and your business takes off like crazy, like brandable. But, um, you know, that's like one in a hundred startups. Yeah, no, definitely great, great advice. And that's also, uh, also great advice for some of your first or second year businesses. I mean, cash flow is really is really going to make the difference in staying power. Sometimes you may have the best idea, you may have um, you know off timing, or you may have a bad idea with good timing. I mean, some of these things will be out of your control and kind of like your journey overall. Um, but you're right. If you don't have staying power, then uh, all bets are off because you're gonna you, you're gonna become insolvent pretty quickly. Um, so no, lo- definitely love that advice. Um, so let's get a little bit more to Brandable. So you, you told us um, the, the story on how you came about um, joining Brandable and um, some of the big problems you're trying to, uh, you're trying to change, which are um, getting products that are more relatable to millennial off, um, audiences and younger. Um, where do you find that some of the bigger brands are just missing the mark? Because um, it's so interesting to me how somebody like Brandable can come in, be smaller, and just you know eat somebody's lunch pretty quickly. Where do you think they missed the mark on connecting with the younger audience? So I think there's a, a few things. I think one of them is just these larger companies can't move as fast as smaller companies, mm. even if they wanted to. They're just mm-hmm. they have you know 60 year old histories with a, a lot of bureaucracy and and process in place, and and they mm. also um, are kind of in a position where they've gotten uh, complacent because they have these huge brands that haven't changed for decades, and they have, you know, like an oligopoly on the shelf space in Walmart and Target. You know, you, you take Procter & Gamble, for example, who owns like 70% of the shaving space, or well, they used to until Dollar Shave Club ate their lunch. But mm-hmm. um, that's an example of, you know, reimagining mm-hmm. Uh, an old category, but the volumes that these guys are doing are still massive. Like they're so much bigger than brandable, at least for now. And so it's very easy for like a Johnson and Johnson or Unilever to get complacent because these new product lines that they're going to create, that they would create aren't, they're just still so dwarfed by their, their main staples because those are still huge markets. They're still, you know, huge amounts of spending happening from Mm -hmm. the boomers and Gen X on these categories. And so I think that it really just comes down to complacency and the lack of ability to be agile, even if they wanted to. Mm. And so what's going to happen, and it it seems like it would make sense is that their model is going to be, you know, to allow companies like uh, Brandable and other companies to create products and, you know, whether they're going to ultimately try to purchase the company or the product and or both, um, it seems like the new model because they're not going to be able to 
really exactly like you said they're not going to be able to move that quickly and also i mean i mean just thinking out loud you're that exec that's been there 20 25 years you see it you have a new idea you have a new xyz like think about dollar shave club if you if you're the executive on procter and gamble to bring that one like to the table and risk your career on that is it worth it at this at this point i don't know like it's tough. Yeah. Like it's a it's, whole I mean, it's a whole different model. It's tough. And not saying to do anything wrong. It's just I don't know. I'm saying for myself, I'm probably not making that call. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the other thing is they can you know, they have the capital to sit back and wait to see who kind of rises to the top. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of maybe evolving into like a CPG hedge fund or private equity fund mm. where they. Um, they have the capital, they have the resources and distribution, they have the economies of scale that can help get some of these companies that are growing rapidly but maybe struggling to be profitable. Mm-hmm. They can get them there. They're probably the, one of the only organizations, these you know, top five, ten CPGs are the only mm-hmm. ones that can really have the economies of scale to get some of these uh, CPG startups profitable. So it's not a bad model. I mean, not uh, at all. Clorox just acquired for its fees. You know, Harry's just got acquired for 1.4 mm-hmm. billion. Um, I think it, it, in inner circles of you know these Unilevers and Procter and Gamble's, though, mm-hmm. what, what you'll hear is there's a lot of complaining about how hard it is to get these profitable. I mean, from what I can hear, mm-hmm. uh, uh, from what I'm hearing, you know, companies like Dollar Shave Club still aren't making a profit, mm-hmm. and um, so that that's really the struggle is is getting these things to profitability. So yeah, it's a great model to wait for these brands to acqu- uh, you know rise to the top, and then you buy them for a billion dollars, which is a drop in the bucket for these companies. Right. But if they can't eventually get them profitable, then they have a whole portfolio of you know non-profitable <laughs> <Yeah>. companies, <laughs> and you know ten twenty years down the road, they're you know if they if they start becoming not profitable, their stock's going to crash. So um, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's, it's it's like a logistics exercise after you acquire these companies to figure out how to get them to be totally. profitable. Yeah, to me, that's why the, the whole CPG space, I mean, it's just infinitely um, interesting to me when I think about what's happening and, you know, what's been built and entire model shifting. And you're with brandable positioning yourself right in the middle of all that, which I know has got to be super exciting for yourself. Um, if somebody's uh, listening to this, Aaron, and if they want to just learn more about brandable, what's the best way for them to uh, to get that information? Uh, BrandableLA.com. So like Los Angeles, uh, so it's B-R-A-N-D-B-L-E-L-A.com. Um, that's not where we sell our products. That's our corporate site. Um, each one of our brands has its own distinct website, but that's where you can go to learn about our brands. And most important for people who are listening, we're growing very rapidly. We're always looking for top talent. You know, if you're interested in joining our team, either reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's slash in slash Mendes, M-E-N-D-E-S, or uh, go to our careers uh, page on the website because that's really kind of like the lifeblood of our business is, uh, is getting top talent in that can help us kind of take things to the next level. Oh, that's awesome. Well, hey, Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your background in tech and what you're doing investment-wise and uh, and also what's going on over at Brandable in the CPG space. Really exciting stuff. I, I'm excited to 
hear much more great things and um, and a lot more wins from your company. Um, to the listeners, as always, I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I sure did. Um, if you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Um, leave me a review. Do all those great things that we do to support our podcasters. I really do appreciate it. And Aaron, thanks again for coming on. Thank you.